Work Experience, the podcast. Now with a shorter intro. Welcome to Thursday of week two here at Work Experience Podcast. My name is Braden French and I'm really excited you're here because today is episode 10. <laughs> to put that in perspective, Game of Thrones Season 1 only made it to 8 episodes, so we are in uncharted territory here, and I'm so glad you've joined us. Now, today's show is proudly sponsored by Cameron Shields, who bought me pizza for dinner last week. Thank you, Cameron. And I just want to address the rumours going around that people can willy-nilly buy me food or coffees as a way of getting their name mentioned on a podcast as a sponsor, and I want to say that that is completely correct. So if you see me, please feel free. We can't accept cash bribes as sponsorship in the interim. Please feel free to uh, buy me coffee and I will give you some airtime as we've given Cameron today. Jumping into the inbox, I want to address two pieces of feedback. The first is that at the end of week one, people wanted less of Braden and more interviews. Now, some recent feedback has come through saying they want less interviews and more Braden. Now, I really wish both my listeners could agree, but this is a podcast that seeks to respond to the community, to our listeners. So I hope that over the next episodes, you'll see us pioneer some new approaches to podcasting, seek to change it up a bit, keep you guessing as we continue this journey, as we continue to explore some different aspects of youth ministry, some parts of what it means to be a young person today, as we hear from a range of guests and their experiences and stories and their passions that go together to making this work experience podcast. Now, finally, before we jump into today's episode, I want to invite you to participate in a new segment that I am calling Work Experience Experience. No, that's not an echo. That's just the name of the game. If you, as a young person, did work experience with a church or in youth ministry or something related to the sorts of things we're talking about here, I want to have you on as a guest. We might learn from you. We might be able to improve our work experience here based on your experience. Don't forget, that was really the driving force of this. Those loyal fans who remember episode one will remember that this podcast has been birthed out of my frustration that no one ever came and did work experience with me as a youth worker. So I brought it to your ears. So if you have done work experience, we want to hear from you. Being episode 10, we're in party mode today. And for a special treat, today's guest for Lit or Quit is none other than my nana. Barbara, do you want to say hello to everyone? Hi, everyone. Uh, We're so excited to have you here, Barbara. And we thought before we jump into the game, we might just check terminology. When you were young, what words did you use to describe something that was cool? I don't think we had a word when I was really young for cool. Okay, excellent. My children do now. All right. I'm going to throw some words at you that young people use now, and you can tell us whether you would have used that when you were a teenager or perhaps not. Okay? Dope. No. Wicked? No. Hectic? No. The shit? No. Lit? No. Mint? No. 
Okay, so we're in good territory here. So, Barbara, now that we know that all this is new, we're going to play another round of Lit or Quit. So you know how this works. I'm going to tell you an aspect of youth culture, and you're going to tell us whether you think it's Lit, which is good, or Quit, which is bad. Okay, here we go. Snapchat, Lit or Quit? Lit. Penalty rates, Lit or Quit? Lit. Smashed avocado, Lit or Quit? Quit. Fortnite, the game? Quit. Taking a gap year. Lit if you're the right personality to come back and go back to uni. Okay. Decriminalising marijuana. Lit for people who are ill and need it. And what about just recreational users? No, that's quit. Okay. And finally, Donald Trump. Quit. Barbara, you've been a spectacular player. Thank you so much for joining us here on Work Experience Podcast. Thank you. really excited that today we've been able to secure a meeting with my friend John Owen. He's been described as the Indian George Clooney and just this week was the feature of Australian Story on ABC and I recommend you check it out on iView, the story of Wayside Chapel and John's new role there. But we sat down with John to pick up this series on inclusion and hear some of John's story and so I'm really excited that you can all get to eavesdrop on our chat. I'm delighted to be joined by John Owen today, who's the current CEO and pastor at Wayside Chapel. John, do you want to say good day to everyone? Hello, everybody. They're a pretty shy bunch here, but they're glad you're with us. John, why might you have some thoughts on this idea of including young people from rough backgrounds, whether they're low socioeconomic communities or maybe they're sleeping rough or, you know, life's just throwing them a curveball. Why might you uh, be someone who can help us explore this? Oh, I'm certainly uh, here for the conversation. Look, I've uh, been head of the Wayside Chapel for about a month now, but prior to that, for the last 20 years, I was working for an organisation. I was a member of Urban Neighbours of Hope and small, intentional, incarnational, missional order. That's a lot of words to digest at once. But basically what it was was a bunch of people who were... uh, are really passionate about making a difference in the lives of people who were doing it tough and living in neighbourhoods that had deserved or not had bad reputation or less than savoury. So we uh, said we, we don't just need to do more, we need to be more. And so we moved into those communities and through our houses open and through hospitality and engagement from the position of being a neighbour as opposed to being an expert that drives from the outside in, we uh, got involved with our community. So I spent 10 years in Melbourne where I grew up in the then pretty rough and tumble neighbourhood of Springvale. It's changed significantly now since those days, but that was in the 90s with a lot of um, gangs and heroin was pretty rife through the place and also working with a lot of asylum seekers too at the time there and and guys living in boarding houses and then jump forward 10 years been in the uh, in living in a high density housing commission neighborhood in Mount Druitt called Bidwell and um, just getting involved mostly with youth what you would call uh, at-risk youth and personally men uh, who were coming in and out of jail and doing some men's work there, ministry, as well as having team members who were working with women fleeing domestic violence and children's ministry as well. So that's kind of uh, 
experience I bring to being with you guys today. Mate, that's a life well lived. We need a whole series to hear some of those stories. But today we're going to dive deep into these few questions that we've been asking all our guests. In your experience, and that's all any of us can share, why do you think it's, it is hard and it's been hard for kids from these backgrounds, whether they're yeah, at-risk teens or in low socioeconomic communities, to find a place of welcome in what we're terming traditional youth ministry? Yeah, look, there's, there's, a, there's a range of factors there. And I think, you know, it's not because it's most of the ways we've traditionally formed uh, youth ministries or spaces within churches to exclude people who are doing it rough. It's just that we just need to think about the kind of spaces we set up and particularly the kind of people we are within that um, space. And I think so often traditionally, you know, we would, there was a cultural mishmash, you know, I remember in the early days of, of ministry, you know, we were running youth groups and we were running youth groups with um, uh, kids who had no church background and we would take them into the local church to worship and they were loud, they were brash, they didn't have the right language and uh, very quickly um, the lovely older members of the church said, we love your ministry but please don't bring the kids here mm-hmm. and uh, you know because our, our kids we were trying to form them in a certain way and so that was difficult for us but um, you know, it was, uh, and a hard to hear, but, you know, I don't want to disrespect every every church and organisation is trying to cater to a certain bunch of people. But if you want to make your spaces more safe and accessible for kids from the backgrounds I'm talking about, there needs to be a real examination of the, um, the ways we go about things. And so just try and get into the minds of some of our kids, you know, where where they see big groups of people gathering, that usually means a party or a fight's about to break out and uh, they're not generally safe spaces for our kids, uh, for these kinds of kids. They are also out of their depth. You know, we often talk about um, the, uh, the the model we do in ministry is is quite runs, unfortunately, in churches quite counter to what we need to be doing out in the community, which unfortunately most churches send the message is uh, you need to believe first and then hopefully if you believe you'll begin to behave and then if you believe and then behave you'll then belong and most all ministry but particularly ministry to it uh, to kids doing it tough is you've got to flip that on its head the first thing you've got to do is create a space of belonging and then that belonging um, may lead into places where belief is possible and then into the ways young people behave yeah absolutely so i don't know if that makes sense but the primary task is to create safe spaces where people can come and feel like they belong because uh you know what would break my heart is when a kid i'd be working with a kid in juvie he'd say to me john when i get here i want to change my life i'd take him along to a youth group say and pretty soon he was on the outer of that youth group not because of what he did but he just didn't fit in culturally he didn't wear the right clothes he didn't um he maybe smoked still out the front and that wasn't culturally acceptable in that church youth group environment. And so that would break my heart is to say that, you know, he was, he was rejected because of how he looked and uh, just didn't look or feel the same. So, you know, how do we create open welcoming spaces where all can fit in and all can belong? That's, that's my, that's one of my key things I'd, you know, impress upon people when they're thinking about this. I reckon all young people are, you know, regardless of background, trying to develop a sense of identity, belonging and purpose. And 
And surely we want to have communities where young people can get together and work that out together. And yeah, that it does break your heart when we've got a preconceived idea of who's in and who's not. Yeah. I wonder, um, moving on, how important is language when we think about these uh, young people and the types of communities we want to form? I know for some of our other guests, terminology and language has been really critical in identifying and valuing experience. Does that, the way we talk about this stuff matter? It matters and it matters deeply, actually. And I, I don't think we realise how uh, enculturated our language within the church has become. You know, um, just ask someone who is new to faith to pray. They don't know all the right words to pray out loud. And you'll often hear the effing and the blinding in the middle of the prayer, which I love. But, you know, oh, the, the person's crossed the line there. And, uh, you know, even the way we talk about things, you know, we the, the language we use is largely incomprehensible to uh, people who are moving from outside the church. You know, I, I remember if you say to someone in a youth group testimony, if you share within the church and you say, I was convicted by that, <laughs> uh, you know, that means a very different <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and so we just, you know, we, we're often speaking language that, these kids don't easily understand or grasp or have very different concepts to when their worldviews are completely different, you know. And if you're lucky enough to have grown up in a, in a good community, you know, you have safety in the extended uh, network. Uh, elders can be trusted. You know, there is uh, a richness that we're drawing on that we need to be very aware of that we're not everyone necessarily shares our cultural experience. Heteronormative ways of talking about uh, issues as well can be very excluding of people not from um, the dominant mainstream. Even culturally, you know, think about it, what it feels like to walk in. I often, uh, being dark-skinned Indian, is, you know, I'd walk into a room thinking nobody in this room looks like me. And uh, you just got to be aware of that. And um, you've got to be aware that you really need to double down. I say, you know, the, the love will always triumph over hate if you give it a chance. And, um, you know, when the new kid walks in and they look different, they're already feeling self-conscious. They're already feeling on the outer. And it's the power of hospitality and the power of welcome is uh, never underestimate uh, how much that can change someone's life. Yeah, mate, that's great. We've touched on this already around the emphasis on belonging over behaviour and a, and sort of an orthodox approach to belief. But do you have any practical suggestions from your experience or maybe some things to avoid for communities that do want to extend welcome and hospitality to to these young people um you know with that may be aware of on their doorstep in their community uh young people doing it tough what are some first steps or some things to avoid from your experience look you know there's there's look many things we can do i'm just trying to run off a few off the top of my head you know one of the philosophies we have at wayside is no one is a problem to be solved they're a person to be met and the greatest gift we can give someone is to be ourselves you know we we're not trying to get anyone to agree with the same things we agree with we're trying to really explore and appreciate the person for who they are you know realize that we're, we're all just people who want to belong and we want to feel a part of something bigger than ourselves and you know just know that the power of the peer group one of the things i'm most grateful for in my faith journey as a christian is being able to journey with people my age who were grappling 
with the same issues. And so just broadening out that circle and including others who are from the outer into that space is very powerful. It's not about you having the right answers. In fact, forget having the right answers. Just be yourself. Be open and be honest as you um, go about it. Really think about the words you use and the way you set things up. You know, they, they words have the power to build up or to really to run people down. And so just, you know, be, always be wary in those interactions about the impact that you, you are having on people. And just remember, you know, everyone's somebody's son or daughter, you know. Say day, smile, introduce yourself, get down to whatever level they're on. <laughs> um, you know, do, you, know, don't, you, don't, you don't need to know the whole person immediately, you know. Find a common interest. You know, these are very simple tips yeah. you both like footy you know and or you can ask them a question you know about one of their interests if you're new to victoria ask them about afl you know all these kinds of things yeah i've heard it's kind of a big deal down here yeah, yeah. i mean it's, so it's these are the real stuff. simple things yeah really simple things mate yeah. that's so encouraging we're going to let you go but john we want yes. to say uh thanks for your time here and and for that life of service and incarnational ministry you spoke of and no doubt it's going to continue up there at Wayside. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Braden. Cheers, mate. Bye. This week in the library, uh, we've got a new book called Weird, Crude, Funny and Nude, The Bible Exposed. And what's even better is this week we have the author here in the library with us, Mr. Tom French. Do you want to say hello? Hello. Excellent. Now, we need to disclose that uh, we both share the burden of the French nickname, but we are in no way related. As far as we know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. But um, you can grow a beard and I can't, so I'd say there's little chance we're related. <laughs> I'm from uh, the beard side. Yeah. <laughs> What's the worst joke about having French as a surname you've had? I, I just get all the time. I assume you do too. Like, do you speak Spanish? Do you yes, speak German? Totally. Absolutely. Uh, and when I tell people how to pronounce it, I say French like the toast. Oh, yeah, that's no, good. I can yeah. start using that now. No, it's, it's all yours. Tom, who are you apart from an accredited Christian author? Uh, yes. Well, I am a 35-year-old man with a wife who lives in Melbourne. I have many years of youth ministry up my sleeve. Can you say that? I've, I've done a lot of youth ministry. Mm-hmm. And these days, I hang out in Melbourne and read gas meters because the author life is very lucrative. Yes, yeah, uh, I can appreciate it. Just, my, just like hosting Christian podcasts. Oh, it makes a lot of money. Yes. Um, tell us a bit about this book, Weird, Crude, Funny and Nude, The Bible Exposed. Well, it's uh, a book I wrote because I have a, the sense of humor of probably like a 12-year-old boy. And I used to have fun as a kid, like going through the Bible and looking for any part of the Bible where there's like nudity or toilet humor or sex, any of those things. And I'd read those bits and I'd have a giggle. And so I thought, well, why don't I write a book about those things and not just have a giggle at them, but also figure out what are they actually doing in the Bible and what do they have to teach us? You you sent me, because you're a gentleman, you sent me a pre-release. Yeah. And I found myself not putting it down just because I was laughing and then I was being like then there was aha moments and there was just that routine again and again every chapter had a a well-known story that does make you giggle but then you um, push it beyond that and 
and reveals something of truth and something of purpose and worth in that. And, and I just found that rhythm, you know, what's the next one? What's the, oh, I remember that story. So, yeah, it's, it's good. Who do you think should read it? Who, who, who's your audience? Uh, well, so that I can stop gas meter reading, I would like everyone to read it and buy their own copy and yeah. multiple copies for their house so you can have one in every room. But if I had to, like, an audience in mind... Uh, particularly, I think I, I wrote it for, for teenagers, probably teenage guys, uh, like if you want to really focus in mm. to help them to kind of engage with the Bible. But what I've kind of found is, apart from, from those guys who have enjoyed it quite a lot, it also kind of hits the, like the young adult crew and, and youth pastors with immature sense of humor. Um, There's a lot of those. Yeah. And my mum, she really likes it too. So... Yeah, so pretty much teenagers, young adults, and people who like Bible jokes. People who like Bible jokes. It's a, it's a, that would be a weird convention. Um, <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about one of the chapters um, and a familiar character to me, but first I wanted to take one part of your book out of context, um, if I may. Great. I'm just going to read, you, read uh, to our audience. Uh, it talks about, back in my single days, like many single people do, I would often contemplate getting into relationships. I would think myself into all sorts of contortions. I think if I ask a girl on a date, what if on the date I realize I don't like her and then I have to stop going on dates with her? That would be awkward. Or if what if we're going on dates and then we started dating and but I didn't really know if I want to date her, do I need to figure out if I love her before we start dating? And then you push that and eventually, um, really before I go on a date to begin with, should I figure out if I want to marry her? And this struck a chord with me Partly because that's the exact advice my dad gave me when I was 15. He said, um, I haven't had a girlfriend, which is, I know it's hard to believe. Um, and he said, uh, basically, before you start dating someone, don't rush into it. Make sure you're happy to marry her. I then asked out my best friend the next night <laughs> via ICQ. And um, because I think that that might be the worst dating advice I'd ever heard. Um, what do you think about that? Is that something you live by or can perhaps you've... Well, I think I unintentionally lived by it. Yeah. I, I read a, a famous Christian book of the 2000s, which told me similar advice not to date unless I thought I could marry the person. And then I promptly went out and got my first girlfriend, which lasted three and a half weeks. It was a big deal. And then I was single for a long time after that. And then I married the first person I dated after that. But that wasn't for lack of trying. I definitely tried to date plenty of women who I, I didn't know if I could marry them or not. But I really, I was happy to find out. Which yeah. I think is probably more useful in dating. Rather than having to solve everything before you get into it, you know, you should probably just spend some time with them and get to know them, And then you'll know whether you should marry them or not. Sound advice. Sound advice. Chapter 14 Paul's killer preaching focuses on the short passage in Acts where a young man named Eutychus uh, falls out of a third-story window uh, to his untimely death. Yes. Now, death isn't always funny, but there's plenty in this uh, little passage that is fits into weird, crude... I don't know that there's any nudity, but, um, but it is funny. Why, why do you include this passage in, in your book? Uh, I include it because the way the story goes is you have Paul preaching and he's preaching uh, through the night. Like So they, they get together, everyone's there, and he's just 
preaching and preaching and preaching. Poor old Eutychus, who is a young guy, probably in his early teens, and he just falls asleep during Paul's preaching, which is a common occurrence in all sorts of preaching around the world. I have fallen asleep listening to sermons. I have fallen asleep listening to myself preach. So it's easy to fall asleep. So I think it's relatable. But poor old Eutychus falls asleep, and he's sitting in a window, and he falls out and dies. And that's a little bit funny. Like, not dying, but dying of Paul's preaching because you're bored to sleep. Like, that's that was a bit funny. Yeah. And then what I like about the story is then Paul runs downstairs, and it tells us, I'll, I'll read you from the actual passage. It says, Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. And that's... That's the end of verse 11. And we don't hear about what happens to him. So if you don't read the rest of the story, the next verse after that, you just have Paul throwing himself on a man and then saying, oh, he's alive, now let's eat. And we don't actually find out that he's alive. So maybe he's just covering it all up with food. But then we get, luckily we get verse 12. It says, the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. So I think it's like it's a really fun story because there's a bit of death, but then he's alive again, which is great. But also it kind of has a lot of, things that we can learn yeah. from it as well. And, and, and I wanted to rip into those a little bit. You say that uh, there's comfort in this for all of us who have fallen asleep in sermons. It's yeah. actually biblical. It, yep. Um, and there's a warning here to uh, preachers who cause people or should be aware that um, preaching can cause death. Yeah, if you preach badly, you might have blood on your hands. Yeah, yeah. And and I've often explored how this is a analogy for the church, where we are, where young people are leaving, uh, hopefully not in such tragic ways as falling to their death, but we are, we do see young people leaving the church sometimes in droves because they're not there's no connection and and they don't uh, feel welcomed into the community, but. Uh, you also speak uh, or write um, about what it says to what, what we can learn from this passage. you want to share some of that? Yeah, I think, um, well, one of the things it shows us is, like it shows us just a bit about what life in the early church was like, that they were already getting together um, on a Sunday and eating, eating together and celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus in communion, which is great, like just for us when we're in church and we're participating in communion, we see that we're part of something that's, that's thousands of years old, which is just comforting in that, that we're doing a ritual that, that spans so long ago. But also the thing that it, that it shows us, I think, is just the, the kindness of God that this kid dies and Paul is able to, through asking God, bring him to life and God, God answers Paul's prayer and usually when we read Acts, there's all these kind of amazing healings and they happen so that people get healed and then because of the healing, they get to preach and then thousands of people join the church and then and then it kind of goes on like that. But in this one, all that happens is this guy dies and Paul prays for him and he comes back to life. We don't see thousands of people become Christians. We just see the people comforted because God is a God who, as well as wanting people to, to join his family, also wants to comfort his family and care for his family. And, and so it's, it's kind. we see the kindness of God in this story, just that he would, uh, he would do this without anything beyond just wanting to care for his people. Mm. Terrific. I'll read, I'll read the back cover because that's always a good synopsis. 
Weird, crude, funny and nude is a hilarious, Christ-centred and somewhat inappropriate look at some of the least known and discussed parts of the Bible. It's ideal for anyone who thinks nudity, poop and farts are funny, which will have an, on the Venn diagram, there's a fair overlap with Work Experience Podcast audience, <laughs> I um, want to suggest. So, Tom, uh, tell us, uh, where can we get the book? And also, where can we get, um, where can we find out more about you and your ministry and, you know, just a bit more of Tom French? Well, you can get the book from pretty much any good online retailer and even the less good ones. Uh, it's there. So you can just search for Weird, Crude, Funny and Nude. It'll be there. Uh, and if you want more of me, you can go to tomfrench.com.au and there's my blog is there and some of my preaching is there and you can buy the book from there and... There's a photo of me holding a microphone, which is pretty inspiring. So, Excellent. And and if we wanted to get it on Amazon? You just go to Amazon and search for... I actually search for weird, crude, and funny, and I leave off the nude because it's you get safer search results nice. if you it's do a, that. It's a good safety <laughs> tip. And uh, at time of recording, the number one Christian comedy book in Australia... Yeah, the, on Amazon, top religious humor book. So not even Christian, all religions. All religions. Yeah. Outdoing the Sikh comedy <laughs> authors. Uh, well done. Tom, thanks so much for joining us here. Um, the book is great. It is, it's fun. It's, it's full of insight and, um, and truth. And you, you could put it in front of young people, leaders. Um, you could use it as small group uh, material, definitely, or for your youth group studies. Um, and I do I recommend everyone gets a copy so that Tom can continue his uh, tour of duty and stop reading gas meters. Tom, thanks again for coming in and joining us. Thank you for having me. What a day it's been. We've heard from my Nana, from John, from Tom. Thanks so much for listening in to this week's episode. Don't forget about work experience experience your chance to be part of the fun here this week i'm heading over to tasmania so we might grab some voices from across the bass strait and the sonder youth camp if you're in melbourne a great chance to get involved coming up in september all the information is at work experience podcast facebook page don't forget you can always get in touch via that page or via the email workexperiencepodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next week for the Friday edition of Week 2. And Martin Sheen, we're waiting your call.